everybody. This is Kim C. and you're listening to the Year of Underrated Stephen King podcast. I'm your hostess with the mostest and today I'm chatting with my really good friend and fellow podcaster Matt H. on a wonderful topic that is extra special and very near and dear to my heart, the women of Stephen King. This is going to be a part two investigation that I started coincidentally right around a year ago with Deanna Chapman from Chat Cemetery. Deanna joined me on a terrific discussion where we twisted the lid off the pickle jar and got in there discussing some of our favorite Stephen King females, how they operate in the story, what they represent in greater pop culture. Check it out if you haven't, and cheers to podcast host Deanna Chapman, who is a fellow Stephen King queen. This lady has read all of Stephen King's works in chronological order, and I absolutely bowed down. The Women of Stephen King is a subject that absolutely thrills me to no end, guys. It is a huge, huge, huge ball of ideas and observations, and I really like connecting with King fans and constant readers to observe what we have in the storytelling stew pot when it comes to the female characters within the Stephen King universe. I think we have, in general, some really brilliant themes, archetypes, symbols, patterns, some truly incredible ladies who were so ahead of their time in terms of what they represent to readers today. Lots of brilliance, guys. Off the chart brilliance. And I'm so passionate about it. And Matt helped me peel back a few more onion layers as we explore some of the Stephen King women on his mind with his upcoming second installment on a subject that absolutely makes my brain liquefy with all the powerful content. For those of you who haven't yet heard of the brilliant Matt Hurt and his amazing output, he is the host of not just one, not two, but three stellar podcasts. One podcast is Tower Junkies, where he co-hosts with my recent guest, Tiny, and they unearth all Stephen King mediums, specifically with film and television. There is also Obsessive Viewer, where there are some epic and layered film reviews, as well as anthology for all of you Twilight Zone fans. Matt is a busy one, but I'm so glad he was able to join me on this passion project of mine. I have a lot of ideas, a lot of crazy tangents and tendrils. Maybe it might become a published academic work in the future, maybe a traveling panel, who knows? All I know is that I love talking about the women of Stephen King, so without further ado, please check out my conversation with Matt H. from Tower Junkies on part two, The Women of Stephen King. All right, everyone, welcome my friend Matt back to the year of underrated Stephen King. How are you, Matt? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you so much for having me back and also officially on air. I just want to say congratulations on your upcoming 100th episode. That is so awesome. I'm so I'm so excited for you uh, to hit that milestone and many more. <laughs> oh my gosh, my heart. Thank you so much. <laughs> I I'm trying not to think about it because I'm right? kind of in disbelief it's even happening. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like once I reached the 90s, I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so very much. There will be much celebrating down the road and I will most likely 
hit you up again to chat with me about what do I do now? <laughs> Absolutely. Happy to help any way I can. Oh, so thrilled to have you with me today. Matt is my super bestie and Stephen King connoisseur who I always love chatting with. And today, Matt is so gracious with his time to talk about a topic that I'm super passionate about, the women of Stephen King. So I very much scratched the surface with this a couple months back last year. I was working with Deanna Chapman from Chat Cemetery because this topic, I don't even know how to crack it open other than to just get our Andy Dufresne chisels and start going at it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do again. This is part two, and this is just a conversation about the females within the Stephen King universe. What are we noticing? What can we bring up and unearth and discuss because I think there's some super crazy powerful stuff in that. It's one that I really want to explore academically someday, perhaps in a kind of panel. So Mad's going to help me with it today and we're going to continue the conversation that I started a couple months back with Deanna Chapman. We're going to push the snowball further down the hill and my first question for you, Matt, is who are your favorite Stephen King females, and how did they get that spot? Okay, so this is this is such a I, I don't want to say loaded question, but it is it is a big question because I have a couple different I have a, I have a couple different ones that I I just I feel like they're 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 my favorites for different reasons. So I'll kind of start with the one that immediately shoots to mind, and that's Annie Wilkes. All right. Heavy hitter. Let's go. Oh, yeah. And specifically because I, I just feel like, I feel like Annie is this very, very big demonic character who's, who's grounded in a certain level of reality. It, she's grounded in, in a reality that she is fully disconnected from, <laughs> which is such an interesting just thing to play with with the character. And as far as, and, and I would also kind of lump in uh, Mrs. Carmody from The Mist to, into this because- Oh, good one. Yeah, because, and, and I kind of feel like part part of that is maybe a little bit of a cop-out on my part because it's, I, those two characters are they, are, they are so intricately detailed by King, but their femininity bears almost no- no bear has almost no bearing on their characterization or anything and i find that to be like i kind of feel a little bit guilty answering that question because the, the elephant in the corner like i'm, I'm a man so like <laughs> my favorite stephen king females are characters that are do not def, are not defined by their femininity or anything and that i kind of feel like a little bit of a cop-out but I just think that they're incredible characters and incredible villains as well. And they, they just embody this certain darkness within them that I think King really, really, uh, really exemplifies in, in the writing. 
awesome choices, awesome selections. I like how you did choose two of the most sinister gals in the bunch. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, any Wilkes, we could just talk for days and days and days about that one but what i what i love about annie wilkes is i think nowadays when we in in that contemporary mindset read about annie wilkes a lot of us are like whoa this lady is drowning in mental illness absolutely and i think back in 87 yeah back in 87 when readers were digesting misery i believe she's coming across much more as the monster of the fairy tale yeah in my misery episode i kind of liken her to like the wolf in the forest or the the sort of classic fairy tale monster as punishment like annie wilkes is punishment mm -hmm. and i'm so glad you brought up mrs carmody because i think she's the same kind of strong symbol maybe not necessarily punishment but sort of the societal intolerance and religious zealot frightening psychopathic uh just yep. the dark side <laughs> of humanity the very close-minded rigid in control thought process that gets people killed oh absolutely awesome selections thank you and yeah i I kind of feel like Mrs. Carmody is maybe because she's so so much more fresh in my mind right now, but she's this, like you said, it, it's it's a she's kind of a um a vessel for her religious zealotry and this just darkness in her. And it kind of feels like King is working out some things with that story. But also there's this level of her just not being culpable for her behavior and just feeling like she can throw out like I don't know if I really get a sense of her truly believing this stuff or just well I mean yeah, she does believe this stuff but I don't know necessarily how much of it is her just wanting to spread that hate versus her truly believing her own insanity and it's it's, it's such an interesting intricate character as well now that I'm thinking about it. So I know for the most part, everyone knows Annie Wilkes. They should. I mean, yeah. even non-Stephen King readers know Annie Wilkes. Can you remind our listeners about Mrs. Carmody? Because I feel she is someone who's kind of in the back. I know her because I've recently read Skeleton Crew this year, as have you. We're twinsies. Yep. <laughs> yep. Can you remind everybody like what her character was all about within The Mist? Absolutely. So Mrs. Carmody is kind of painted as the kind of town crackpot of like religious zealotry. And in the mist, when the when the people are trapped in the store in the supermarket, her like religious fervor and fire and brimstone, like Old Testament, very hate spewing fire and brimstone stuff is this slowly, slowly boiling melting pot is that a mixed metaphor i don't know but anyway <laughs> this very very slow slowly boiling thing that that comes to a head toward the end of the novella i mean frank darabont did just a masterful job of bringing her to the screen through marcia gay harden who gave an incredible performance in the movie 
but she in that novella it's this kind of play of a microcosm of humanity and what humans are willing to do when confronted with the unimaginable and completely back against the wall and so they have this religious zealot person who is preaching this just kind of out of her behind (laughs) she's just spewing this just filth of this old testament like these are the consequences of our sins and everything and in doing that she manipulates and she creates this congregation in the supermarket that are following her every word because their fear has taken control and they are at the whims of someone who is absolutely out of her gourd insane and it's just it's such an incredible story because she's she's evil but but the evil is the spread of her for lack of a better word disease <laughs> it's 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 just such an intricate and, and incredible thing and it makes me wish that the mist was like four times longer than it is oh my gosh well said oh my gosh so good i agree with you the mist is super loaded like when i read it i was like this is a really fun like creature feature it reminds me yeah. of like the 50s drive-in movie monster experience yes. but then you get in there and you're actually trapped in this supermarket with everybody and you start to see those sociological groups develop where you're like oh god here we go (laughs) this is society unraveling into the roles of demise and what happens when humans are faced with life or death crisis and I think with Mrs. Carmody, with a character like her, she's the worst kind of human you want in a crisis. Absolutely. She is the one who's not going to help. She's not going to do anything useful. All she's going to do is stand there and judge and manic street preach that we should all just accept our bloody demise because of judeo-christian sins and it's like you're the worst (laughs) exactly oh yeah (laughs) and then what's amazing what king does in the mist this is such a plug for the mist which i'm so excited if you guys haven't read it matt and i are just fangirling over here absolutely (laughs) with mrs carmody her poisonous rhetoric unfortunately has an impact and that's the terrible thing because you know if somebody's just ranting and raving our hope is the majority of logical people in that crisis would be like oh well look at crazy over there steer clear don't look at her directly in the eye you know yeah but unfortunately it sort of takes root a little bit and starts to poison people it's the worst kind of thing and i think granted my sin of sins is that i haven't finished the stand yet oh yeah (laughs) my assumption is i think there's a couple characters in the stand that kind of are that way yeah oh yeah oh yep uh the stand has this kind of kind of blind faith and and division of of society or the remnants of society yeah the mist is incredible or i'm sorry the stand is incredible and the mist also stephen (laughs) king is incredible (laughs) totally rich character world so we've got annie and mrs carmody do we have anybody else in the favorites category or 
Are there a few that you can kind of throw in the, the junk pile? Meaning they're not junk as women, of course, but <laughs> right. just characters that you that maybe uh, you just don't care for. Well, okay. So before I get to that, I have one for that because I feel I feel guilty. Well, I have two. I actually have two for, for the ones that I, I didn't really connect with, but I'll get to that in a second. But I do want to try to maybe redeem myself a little bit for the first one and have two just quick, not evil women characters. <laughs> so go for it. The stage is yours. Yes. So the two that jumped to oh no, there's actually probably three. Get it. Do it. Go for it. Just briefly, I'll say Bev from it is a great character. The whole Losers Club, but Bev is she stands out. But the two that jump to mind in in a, in a in a bigger way is Jesse Burlingame. Burlingame. And I just had, oh, oh, uh, Lisey Landon. Love it. Yeah, I kind of feel like those two characters, and, I'm, and I know that there are more characters in the similar kind of context and everything, but I feel like those, those two characters are somewhat of, in the context of this question, they're, they're a little bit opposite from Annie and Mrs. Carmody because they are much more you know, empowered characters and characters who they are faced with, obviously it's a Stephen, it's Stephen King stories. So they're faced with unimaginable situations and, and horrors and everything, but there's this certain power that King imbues in, in the writing that like Jesse Burlingame is in an impossible situation and she comes out at the other end or does she, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but throughout the course of the story we learn things about her backstory and we learn this uh, like we see her fight for her own survival and given the confines the confines of the like the context where she's literally just trapped to a bed alone it's just this so it's this incredibly powerful introspective journey that she goes through and i think that it's it's written incredibly well by king and then on the other hand, we have Lisey Landon, who is going through this just like grief-stricken, weird kind of scavenger hunt kind of thing. And throughout that story, I think it's it's less of a, well, no, it's not less of a uh, empowering thing because the things that she has to go through is, is are horrific. But I think that there's a certain level of care that's given to Lisi in the story because King seems to like have patterned it after his relationship with Tabitha and like there are so there's so much of of like a marriage in that story that it's just it's it they're both incredibly powerful characters Lisi Landon and Jesse Burlingame so yeah so th those are my redemptive two for the first question <laughs> Oh my gosh, you just did the coolest thing. You're get ready, get ready. Here's what you did. So your first two choices were total villains, right? Mm -hmm. Like evil to the core with sort of the dark feminine at the heart of them, like this very dark female energy that's very evil and sinister and out to destroy. And then you picked three victims. So you went from villains to victims, which I love what you did there, because Beverly, 
King gives her that beautiful spotlight in the middle of the Losers Club as being the one and only female that everybody sort of falls in love with. She's kind of like their mother, their sister, their their girlfriend crush, and then toward the end of the book it gets really weird with that, but... yeah. <laughs> She is a victim of her father first, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of women identify with Bev because of that adolescent victimhood and the way that she overcomes it and is such a strong presence for the friends in her life. Like, she lives for them, and Bev's, she's so classic. She's definitely going to be in the top spot forever, forever. But then, although I haven't read Gerald's Game yet, I've seen the film uh yeah in certain chunks because i was really freaked out <laughs> right <laughs> because i'm afraid he can't but i cannot that premise matt oh my god oh yeah. my god like the premise oh, yeah. of gerald's game like <laughs> what what yep i mean how he managed to just i mean he's king of course just everything he writes turns to gold and it is gold i'm sure but it's like if i was a young writer trying to get something published and i just wanted to this is about a woman <laughs> trapped to a bed and her husband's dead body is on the floor <laughs> like just anyway gerald's game i haven't read it yet however i'm so <laughs> flabbergasted by the premise like i oh, can't yeah. wait to read it just to be blown <laughs> away but i know that she's a super big victim not only from her husband i don't know if they had a toxic marriage but i do know that someone another constant reader mentioned to me that there is some sexual abuse for yes. jesse so no bueno there yeah and then Lisi, of course, as you mentioned, is a victim from the tragic loss of her husband. Yes. As well, double victim. She's double victim. And that's why Lisi is such a badass, because she's like the most amazing final girl. Mm -hmm. Not only does she survive the death of her husband, very tragic, but freaking Jim Dooley. Yes. He oh. got some powerhouse picks, and we went from sort of the dark feminine villain to the light feminine victim and they in the end become victors and that's something i really love about king's work with female characters is he typically allows the victims to get vengeance in some way even if it's quiet vengeance oh yeah oh yeah it's 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 incredible like his character work is out of this world Oh, yeah. Lately with the Stephen King females, I've just been noticing a lot of patterns. And I got really excited about this topic because I recently watched the new Firestarter. Have you seen it yet? I still haven't seen it. I, I've been dragging my feet because like over on Tower Junkies, Tiny and I have I, and we haven't started it yet. But like I wanted to do like Carrie and then all the versions of Carrie and then do Firestarter and then all the versions of Firestarter. So I'm we're we're chipping away at starting to work on Carrie. And then by the end of the summer, I hope <laughs> we'll we'll have Firestarter completed. But I have I've read Firestarter and really like it. And, uh, and I was gonna I was gonna take it such a cheap shot. But <laughs> 
I might as well. So uh, I've read Firestarter. I haven't seen either of the movies, but I have seen season one of Stranger Things, which is basically <laughs> Firestarter. So you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing against Stranger Things. I like Stranger Things a lot, but I've been watching season four and it's just it's the show as a whole is just very derivative for me. <laughs> so good word. Yeah, the Duffer brothers, they definitely were a very absorbing sponge, weren't they? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love everything 80s, so I really love Stranger Things, but I'm so glad that we are of the age where we're able to <laughs> see that, hey kids, this is not new. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is this is magic recycled. This is yep. 80s magic recycled. Oh yeah. Like when when the first uh it movie came out, like I I had to hold my tongue so much. And I've I've said that I may have said this on on my appearances on the podcast on your podcast before, but and like when people would say, like, oh yeah, it was really good. It really felt like Stranger Things. I like I would have to hold my tongue and be like, no, no, no. Stranger Things feels like it. Oh my god, Matt, people said that. Oh my oh my yeah. gosh. I did not know that. Oh, my whole body just cringed. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that makes you want to die a little. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Gen Z. What are we going to do with you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Back to Firestarter and Carrie. I'm so excited for that. That sounds like such an amazing sort of lineup to work through. I haven't read Carrie yet because, as you know, we're focused on the underrated works, right. the less popular girls at the dance. We're giving them a turn first. <laughs> but eventually, we're going to get to Carrie. And my plan was to do the three C's, Carrie, Cujo, Christine. So I'm kind of nice. with you on like a cool method there. Oh, yeah. But I'm excited that when we sort of look back to Carrie and spend some time, though I haven't read the text yet, we know, we just know from pop culture and the films that Carrie is a bullied young woman. Yes. Bullied within an inch of her sanity from her peer group. And she has a absolutely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs mother. Yeah. Oh, who yeah. I believe from what I've observed, kind of shares the same sort of Mrs. Carmody madness. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And so not only do you have, like, somebody who's completely mentally unhinged and you don't really have a mom or an advocate in any way. Right. Your home is unsafe. And then you go to school. And so I think that Carrie, of course, is King's first victim. Mm-hmm. And then what we see with that is this, what I'm noticing with the victims is there's kind of like a, a rebirth of some kind where they seek vengeance. And that vengeance is either killing a lot of people, every person, all the peoples, <laughs> uh, or sort of getting a new life altogether. Mm -hmm. Like just a brand new, they are a different person. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I can't wait for you to dive into Carrie because there is there is so much for for such a relatively small text in the greater scheme of you know Stephen King's whole bibliography, it's packed with just so much. It's like there's a reason why this was the 
like first thing that was published and like why it just catapulted him because it's it's just so it's it's so juicy i i love it i'm so excited because i hear i've been chatting with lots of folks lately and it seems I know that The Shining is just like a, a cornerstone for so many King fans, and it is. It's an absolute cornerstone. It is just on another level, just no words. But I love that Carrie is something in comparison to his heavy hitters. Carrie is just about a tragic character. Oh, yeah. And it's, yeah, I'm loving that. And I'm really excited to do a deep dive and really look at what he was doing with my hypothesis of <laughs> King's incarnation of destroyer goddesses. I think yep. he's got them all over the place, Matt. And we, <laughs> yeah. we as fans need to talk about that more. Wholeheartedly agree. Oh, yeah. Yes, and I'm freaking out because I have now returned to the Katet, and yes. I am now in the company of a goddess named Susanna Dean. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> she is absolutely remarkable. She is such an incredible character, and I, uh, yeah, obviously, like, my, my heart beats for the Dark Tower, and... I love I love my content and everything so and and yeah it she's 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 amazing oh yeah so this topic alone I could talk about it all the time I kind of want my dream curriculum would be whatever the current university I'm at I just want to say so I'm gonna teach a class <laughs> called Stephen King females and yes. you're just gonna let me do it Yes. I would definitely need a, a lot of friends in high places to get that, to make that <laughs> happen. However, I can dream. But do you have any Stephen King females who maybe stood out to you in a negative way or you're, you just have either no feelings at all or you're like, you kind of suck? I, okay, so I have, I have two. One... One, I feel, may incur the wrath of, like, all Stephen King fans. <laughs> I don't, maybe, I don't know. And I'll preface this by saying that this character has warmed up to me, but I've got to say, Holly Gibney took a lot of time to acclimate to. At the start in Mr. Mercedes, I just felt like her personality quirks, while definitely while definitely helping to inform the character and give this kind of interesting counterbalance to this kind of detective story thing, it also felt like a little, not necessarily out of left field, but a little bit not in the same kind of universe of, of the Bill Hodges trilogy. And I don't know, like as he's written more Holly Gibney stories, she has warmed up to me and everything especially like in Finders Keepers and End of Watch. But it it took a little bit for me to, to kind of get on board the Holly Gibney train. Yeah, don't hate me, everyone. <laughs> I don't think that could ever be possible, Matt. Uh, <laughs> but no, you, I, I think you'd be incredibly at home with just how dead on you are. I okay. think that... I'm 100% with you. 
and mm. the exact same experience you had i had as well so nice you are definitely not a minority in good the strange <laughs> train ride we had with holly gibney because i'm with you with mr mercedes i was like who is this girl who keeps just saying poopy and like yeah what am I supposed to do with your manic chain smoking, computer hacking, yeah. very detached little bipolar? Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Oh, absolutely. And she comes, she comes into the picture in Mr. Mercedes relatively late. Cause like it's it it King basically replaces a character with her. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, fine. Okay. This is this went from like this noir like noir-esque detective story kind of template to this completely other thing and it it just it really that that change up was jarring to me and then as at like rereading mr mercedes i'm like oh okay i'm i'm on board this is cool like i, I like this ne like knowing the full story going back and reading it again i it was it was a lot better to better for me to kind of take to but it, like it was it was rough that first time <laughs> so rough i am so with you i didn't get it and i think i finished mr mercedes and i really enjoyed it but then everyone was like oh yeah holly gibney's in the next one and then she's in this other one too and i was like why yeah and and then like you said in time when this character started to bloom a little bit in positive ways and what I mean specifically is she was kind of healing a little bit on the page. She was kind of taking care of herself more and finding community and friendship and purpose. And I, I was like, okay, I think I see what King might be doing here. Granted, it's just conjecture. I don't know. But I'm wondering if... A, and we can break this down further, if he's just getting softer in these later years where characters have a little less edge and a little more soft, this is not a bad thing. Right. You know, when you read some of his other works and you get these razor-sharp people, like the way Holly is initially described, right? Mm -hmm. And then you you come to these these later years in King's work and then each book she seems to get softer and softer yeah oh yeah and by the time we get to like the outsider which I my my big like my dark secret for Stephen King stuff is I still haven't read if it bleeds <laughs> oh it's a good one man yeah I know I need to but uh, but yeah there's just so much Stephen King to read <laughs> and apparently he's also like he has said that he's writing a, a Holly Gibney short story, I think, somewhere. I think, if I'm not mistaken. I think rumor has it. Pardon my interruption. I think I think she's getting her own novel. Can you believe that? Nice. You know, that would be good because, like, by the time we get to The Outsider, The Outsider is another example of a story that changes, changes itself up, like, to great effect. I, I think the first hundred or so pages of The Outsider are incredibly gripping. And then when it changes around, that's another thing. I, I never finished the, the limited series of that, but <gasps> I know. I know. 
we are all about radical acceptance here yes on yes. the year of underrated stephen king so we do not judge at all <laughs> i'm enjoying what is probably going to be my last appearance on this podcast. never 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 but by the time we get to the outsider when it changes up and and she is she's introduced to the story it's like being reintroduced to an old friend like oh we're we're catching up with with Holly Gibney we're catching up with Finders Keepers we're catching up with what what she has going on and her kind of taking an indirect charge of the of the mystery of that is very very satisfying so it's it's an interesting example that obviously I should never doubt King because he has proven himself for decades but I remember him saying at one point, like, yeah, I feel like I'm going to be writing uh, Holly Gibney stories for a while now or for, for a while because she keeps coming back and everything. Like, I remember when I first heard that, I was like, oh, sure. OK, OK, fine. But like when I get to The Outsider, it's like, oh, OK, yeah, Holly, cool. Good stuff. I definitely feel much warmer to her now that she's been popping up all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and I've kind of just I've decided, all right look at her, spend some time with this character, Kim C, and really see what he's doing here. And I kind of like what she represents, and that is the mental illness tidal wave that affects so many of us. Oh, yeah. And what a struggle it is just to sort of make a go of everyday life. And Holly is kind of like the a modern day representative of one day at a time, one step at a time, and throw in a little Sherlock Holmes. Oh yeah. And so that's kind of a winning combo. It's kind <laughs> of fun when you when you look at the way that she's got her quirks and peccadillos and when you finish the HBO series, played masterfully by of course I forget her name. Cynthia Arrivo, 10 yes. points me. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, she starts to win me over more and more with these iterations. But I am with you 10,000%. It took some time. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that I'm not alone there. <laughs> the other character I have for this question of king females that I that didn't really connect with me, I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> this one's pretty... I guess easy. I mean, it, she's from Salem's Lot. It's Susan Norton. Have you read Salem's Lot? I have. Okay. It's been a minute. I want to say it's been like three, four years, but I. Okay. You'll have to kind of jug my memory about what she's about. Yeah. So, something that kind of just stands out to me. There, there was a, a run of time where I would basically. <laughs> like as white noise i would play the audiobooks for king books like in the background while i'm going to sleep or while i'm working and everything so like salem's lot was on pretty heavy rotation because it's something that's king still kind of cutting his teeth and he the story is pretty straightforward it's a riff on dracula fine but the thing that i kind of keep getting back to and everything is that Susan Norton, she is the love interest of, God, what is the main character's name? Uh, ben Mears. Ben Mears, yep. Yeah. So they're like meet cute is that he strolls along in, in Salem's Lot and he wants to write a book about the, um, about the Marsden house. 
and he just sees her reading a book in the park and he goes up to her and hits on her is like oh hey you know that's a good book and look at the dust cover because it's me huh and like (laughs) and like it becomes this weird like the relationship is not like he I don't want to fault King for this, but it does feel like she is woefully underwritten in relation to just about any other woman that he's written in his long career because she is this just doe-eyed young woman who is infatuated with this author that she meets. And it's just like she has no other like personality or any other like pull for her journey in the story it's like she's basically fodder for the threat of vampires and it's like I feel like it it just need like she just needed more and like coming off of like Carrie which it went Carrie's Salem's Lot yeah coming off of Carrie where that's just such a rich story of like so many like incredible characters to Salem's Lot where we have like I said just this young girl who is just immediately attracted to this writer who is painted as this rock star person when he's published like a couple of books it's (laughs) it's so weird and out of out of reality it's just I don't know I just feel like she deserved a heck of a lot more and and yeah and King just kind of didn't really deliver for her Good one. Flat, flat, Susan. Yeah. So, Matt, to put you on the spot just a tiny bit, with the sort of negative Nancy choice we have being Susan, if you could edit her character a little bit, what would you add to Susan to kind of give her a little bit of spice? Ooh, I would... I think... So, that's such a great question. Um... (laughs) My immediate thought is that if King wanted, like if the story necessitated that she be the love interest for Ben Mears, and maybe there's a little bit of this in it that I'm that I'm just not remembering. I have maybe a selective memory of it because I'm just focusing on the the more negative aspects of it, but I would want her to at least be a kind of conduit for the town for him to learn about like what's been going on in, in, in the lot since, you know, he's been gone and have her be, you know, have, have this knowledge base within her that he utilizes for his research and everything, which maybe sounds a little bit sketchy because it's basically like, maybe I I don't want to come across like I'm saying like, Oh, he's just going to use her for information. But I think, the problem with the text as is is that he basically just falls instantly in love with her and then there's no context to their relationship and then she's when when she's put in danger it's like you king doesn't really give us enough to really feel attached to her or the relationship and it's just if there was just something like like her being useful and and knowledgeable about anything other than the main character's (laughs) writing career (laughs) like i think that that would be an improvement over what we got 
excellent analysis, and I would have loved that as well. And I am sort of, I'm kind of racking my brain a little bit to recall some of the moments I remember between mm -hmm. Ben and Susan. And I was like, oh, yeah, she's just like a little paper doll. Like, there's yeah. nothing there. There wasn't a lot of substance at all. And no. I, for whatever reason, this is the way my little brain works. As you were mentioning Susan, I was thinking about Sadie from 112263. Oh my God, yes. Why did I not think of her in the, in the context of all of this? Wow, <laughs> yeah. Sadie, I feel, is similar to Susan, but it seemed like Steve learned his lesson there and made Sadie incredible. Oh, absolutely. Like that, that love story is so just beautiful. And uh, it's, it's one of my favorites. Uh, it's probably my favorite Stephen King novel. Oh, so good. It's so good. Oh, yeah. And, and back to Susan Norton, though, um, the other, I think, like, I want to say, honestly, I think the only like, conflict that she has outside of the vampire stuff and everything is that her parents are upset with her for being with ben oh boohoo yeah it's basically a you don't understand him like i do or like it's that just golly gee willikers yeah that paper thin just like romantic conflict that just it just it doesn't again it's when King is kind of cutting his teeth as a writer. I think he's, I don't know when he actually wrote the, the, the manuscript for it, but I mean, it's a second published work and, or published novel. And I don't know. It just, it does not really uh, sit that well with me. Totally accurate. Cause I was thinking about how Susan Norton, she's just like we said in, insubstantial. No, that's not right. Unsubstantial. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, vocab after after the sun goes down. <laughs> Who yep. knows what'll happen to it? She is lacking substance. There we go. In all areas, but Sadie was just as beautiful, right? Sadie's a star. She's just like this stunningly gorgeous woman who is girl next door. She's incredibly educated. Mm -hmm. But girlfriend has an ex-husband that wants to murder her. Yes. You know, like King gives her this epically rich and terrifying backstory. Absolutely. I mean, it would have been crazy if Barlow and Susan could have had some sort of tryst. Yeah. Something. <laughs> yeah. like uh i need more than the sugar cookie vanilla those things are delicious of course but we need some toppings we need something absolutely oh yeah i think you have a wonderful example of like a flat female in king's world and like you said it is early king and it's an ensemble cast novel and so he was most likely spending the gas on other folks yeah just flushing out the entire town of, of jerusalem's lot most likely however why are you putting the spotlight on the flattest one steve absolutely it's so it's bizarre i kind of have this like theory that salem's lot is like a not proof of concept, but it's it's this, it's him building toward a uh, world destroying kind of thing. <laughs> like he has this town 
that is this like has monsters in it and he's kind of learning or he's honing his craft in terms of world building and building a community and then like there are certain steps throughout his creative history that like okay well that'll lead to the monster of the overlook and the history of the overlook and the world of the overlook and then eventually like leading to the likes of the entire planet of the stand or Chester's mill and under the dome, like creating like these just vast communities of a massive ensemble cast and everything. So I can see it as a writing exercise (laughs) as probably disparaging as that may sound, (laughs) but it just didn't really connect with me. Um, Or at least, or at least Susan didn't connect with me. Do you feel with Susan, because I don't have her fresh in my mind, or is there another King female that kind of might take this spot? Is there anyone that you recall that is a strong female at first and then they fizzle? Oh, that's that's a great question. I feel like there I feel like there has to be there has to be someone, but I can't. I can't think of one because I know King obviously has a lot of people who don't really like a lot of his endings. And I, I can definitely see there being like something out there that's maybe he drops the ball with a character. I I have an example for you. Go right ahead. Okay, get ready for this, Matt. Oh my gosh. So I don't know if you've read Tommy Knockers yet. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, I, <laughs> I told you to buckle up. <laughs> yeah. So if you remember Bobby Anderson. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That the, that's the one that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that, I'm like, I'm going to take that answer because that, oh man, Tommy Knockers is so, it's <laughs> so long. <laughs> Oh, that was the most explosive laugh to to fly out my face because that sound encompasses everything, Matt. Like that that's the way my soul feels. Oh yeah. And I know that Tommy Knockers has its fans and I I'm happy that this book creates such a debate among King fans. Some people really find a lot to debate. <laughs> like they there's a lot of apologists for this book. A lot. I understand. But that is not a hill I will die on. No. And I, I actually feel their devotion is slightly misplaced. Granted, I would never say this to them in public or, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to each their own. One man's trash is another man's treasure, etc. But I feel even King has denounced this book. Like, oh, yeah. King has called this thing just garbage fodder and it should line the bottom of a birdcage like (laughs) king has said this right so if the creator has said oh yeah pitch that why (laughs) you know we we anyway i digress so there is a lot to celebrate in tommy knockers because the premise is cool And man, it starts off pretty white hot. We've got this really progressive, oh my God, Matt, Bobby Anderson is like a 21st century boss bitch. Like, absolutely. This lady, I was so shocked. She hooked me right away. She's in her 30s. 
She's got a master's degree. She's got a cute beagle named Peter. She is single and she's screwing one of her old professors slash friends <laughs> yeah. whenever she feels like it. She's like, whenever I need some D, I just knock on the door and there we go. I'm like, <laughs> whoa. Like, you are some millennial hero. Absolutely. Right? And then, oh, God. And then, like, he has this awesome character, Bobby Anderson. She is progressive. She is smart. She's a writer herself. She's kicking ass and taking names. She lives alone. She's got money. She's doing great. She just walks her dog in the forest every night, loving life, finds a freaking alien ship in the woods. And I'm like, dang, this is awesome. I'm in it. And then... For like 7,000 pages, Bobby <laughs> disappears. Yep. And she's pretty much replaced by Gardner. Yeah. And he, it just, it is such a kind of 180. And like his introduction is just terrible because he's just bitching about nuclear waste or nuclear proliferation and stuff. And I'm just like, oh my God, like he is just so obnoxious, so quick and like, it just takes all of the goodwill that was built with Bobby Anderson and just kind of just brushes it aside and puts it in a shed. It's yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. He, yeah. He gives the spotlight to Ray Gardner, who is a literal fall down drunk mm -hmm. and he is drunk a lot all the time and he is self-righteous and obnoxious, like you said, and completely totally narcissistic. But yeah, he kind of had this very interesting bond with Bobby Anderson. Like, yeah. But Bobby was in control of it the whole time, which was so awesome. And they're shacking up and then this alien stuff starts to happen to her, which is completely unnecessary. <laughs> yep. It kind of works, but it's like, oh man, I needed Bobby to have the spotlight of that book. Because for being written in 1987, that is the coolest female character that I had encountered thus far in Stephen King's catalog. Because as we've kind of touched on previously, we have the villain, the very monstrous, dark feminine, like your Annie Wilkes, your Mrs. Carmody. And then you also have the victims who get vengeance, lots of V alliteration happening. And, you know, you've got your, your Jessies, your Lysies, and then you have your destroyer goddesses who are larger than life, superhuman powers, so powerful on another level. And then you just get somebody progressive and cool as hell, like Bobby, who's on another level for being the late 80s. I mean, modern women would just absolutely adore what this woman just the, the trail she blazed yes absolutely right and i'm just like what happens to you right steve why Ugh. granted i know i should be asking the cocaine right why? <laughs> i should be asking all the alcohol but Dang, you had, yeah. I feel he had a diamond and he threw it in the garbage disposal. Wholeheartedly agree. And it pains me so much because, and I think we've, I, I'm sure that we've talked about this. And and by the way, like credit to your episode where you're, the, the TK edit, it was just absolutely great. I need to go back and listen to it again. 
Thank you so much. I was fire mad about that one, so I had to. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had all the feelings. Thank you so much for listening. But, but yeah, just, ah, yeah, I, I just feel like it, it pains me because the idea of Stephen King doing science, like more, not hard sci-fi, but like a more sci-fi based thing, not necessarily just horror, like an alien story is so appetizing to me, but he's done the Tommyknockers and he did Dreamcatcher. And like those two books are just not like they, I don't think he's, I want him to succeed, but I don't <laughs> think that he has like a, a good grasp of like a good alien story judging from those two. So I don't know. It, it's a bummer, but I think you are dead on with that because some of the novels that I've had and I've read that people have the hardest time with is the quote alien kings. Like these yeah. are the titles you mentioned, Tommyknockers, Dreamcatcher, and Under the Dome. Sorry to spoil that for anybody. But these, and I think this is King's Achilles heel, this is his weak spot is he doesn't like to world build he doesn't like to do it yep yeah and he's so uh, and he's so good at community building but i don't know it's yeah right when it comes to making his own lore like yes king you have the ability i mean i believe in dreamcatcher i haven't read it yet it's on the to-do list i believe from what I've chatted with other folks about, there's something called a shit weasel. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh my God. You know, as preposterous and wild as that is, okay, like, yep. we'll go with it. So even then, okay, so this is this is an alien creature that exists in human excrement. All right. Mm -hmm. I can get on board with it. It's a little out there for sure. Yep. <laughs> but I feel like even that, it's like, okay, if that's your lore, if that's the lore you're building, I'll I'll work with it. I'll grab onto it. But then he'll just give us a little slice of awkward something. And then yep. it's like not enough to feed you. Oh yeah. And we can be a little Dickens orphan. Like we don't need a full Thanksgiving thing. We don't need a bunch, but we do need a little more than like one scoop of soup. <laughs> like like wholeheartedly agree. Watered down spoonful of broth. It's like King, I I can't latch on to this. You yeah. can't make me hold on. My grip is slipping. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh yeah. <laughs> The Alien King books really pull a lot out of us. <laughs> yeah. And I think they're always great to vent about because yeah. these things take a while and they take parts of our lives and we gotta we gotta let the steam out. But Bobby Anderson, if man, if I could rewrite that book, not that I would ever, ever attempt to do so, but if right. if he decided to do like a charity project where he picked ten writers to redo one of his novels. Oh my God, I would be there first in line and I would want Bobby Anderson. I would really give her this book. And if we did that, I feel she could be one of the king females that we talk about, like Bev and yes. Carrie and Franny. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like these females that are on that top shelf of awesome. 
and not necessarily, oh, yeah, Bobby was in the dumb, dumb book. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so this is why I feel the underrated works are so essential. Absolutely. Because, yeah, you really get to see this goldmine of potential. And even though it tragically did not come to pass, you are sometimes able to see blueprints in other stories. This is a quick segue, seeing as though we have both recently read Skeleton Crew. Matt, when you read the Milkman stories... Yes. Do you feel the Milkman was kind of a blueprint for Brady Hartsfield? Oh, wow. Wow. Maybe? A little, a little bit. Yeah. That makes me feel a little bit better because i don't like those stories no no No. those were those were tossable yeah and i had read like on wikipedia and there's no attribution for it but like i had read that that was it was discarded from a manuscript that he abandoned called the milkman that was going to be a full novel but i i can't find anything to corroborate that and it reads like that both stories read like that but it's just so I am more attached to morning deliveries than I am big wheels because big wheels is just oh yeah I don't know what that was about yeah just uh, yeah it was like pun sort of intended it was just spinning its wheels going nowhere (laughs) but at least there's a mischievous feel to morning deliveries that is kind of fun but but yeah I do now that you say that in terms of like blueprint for pretty Hartsfield I I I like that, but I I don't like it enough to ever read the Milkman stories again. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely no. Like, the premise is fun. Okay, this is like a spooky little 80s Halloween thingy. Gotcha. However, yeah, Big Wheels. I don't know what the... Like, uh, the Australians, I hope I don't butcher this. They have a really fun phrase, a colloquialism this might be british too i might be digging myself a hole here um but it's called the dog's breakfast and it just means like a garbage mess like that's the dog's breakfast nice. i hope i didn't get that wrong Aussies I don't hate like me that. right so that's what i think about when you were saying when you brought up big wheels i was like oh that mm-hmm. dog's breakfast story yep um because it it's very messy and clunky and i really i can't stand drunk people in real life matt right and when you put them in front of me in narrative form i just get angry like i that's a risk because with characters you need to kind of sell them a little bit like why should we pay attention to this character what why should we waste our time and when it's a drunk person that's that's tricky that's <laughs> especially like drunk people who are just joyriding and i'm just like okay that i like you're doing extra duty to make me just not care one iota about these characters yeah it's rough i have skeleton crew on my mind just because it was a really fantastic story collection it was really good oh yeah So I wanted to kind of talk about some beautiful females, and I'm immediately, Mm -hmm. I have in mind Miss Todd from Mrs. Todd's Shortcut. Yes. As well as the lovely, lovely woman whose name I'm forgetting right now inside The Reach. Oh, yeah. Oh, what was her name? Right? Of course, I'm drawing a blank. Let me see if I can look it up. But 
What are your thoughts on those absolutely stellar stories? But we have some beautiful females. Yes. And inside of those, and they are different. So what are your kind of thoughts on Mrs. Todd and Reach Lady, of which I will look it up? Okay. So Mrs. Todd Mrs. Todd's shortcut in general is a very interesting story because it's it's one of those stories that is King playing with science fiction and the imagery of the science fiction stuff that happens is just very vivid and very vibrant. And Mrs. Todd herself is just this really interesting character who has this obsession with finding shortcuts and finding different like shaving time off of her drives and everything and I love how I think I think the groundskeeper's name is Homer in it um yep I I think you're right yeah I love how you kind of you're told and and this is King's bread and butter like he's telling a story and it's a secondhand story from like the focus of the of the story is Mrs. Todd, but we're being told by a secondary observer of her. So we we kind of fall in love with her with him. Like he has this admiration and like these, like he wrestles with like kind of romantic feelings, but it's more just admiration and, and a magnetism toward her. And that just really comes through spectacularly well in it. And I love that King doesn't use he doesn't like play to the cheap seats for that. He doesn't do like a whole like, oh, well, you know, uh, Mrs. Todd and and Homer were doing like going off and everything and that pissed off Mr. Mr. Todd and that's a conflict or whatever. It's just this very contained story about this admiration that he has for her and everything. And I just, I, I really, I really like that. I love the hell out of that story. And I found out her name is Stella Flanders. Stella Flanders. What an awesome name. Oh, yeah. And she, that story, uh, I, I just, like, I just finished rereading Skeleton Crew. And that story, when I first read it, uh, like a few years ago, it did not leave that strong an impression on me. And rereading it now, something just clicked together and it's this just absolute stunner of just this beautifully told story of this elderly woman who is it's like it's like this overarching kind of of overview of her life and her life contained to goat island and how she's never left and how she's seen so many people pass on and you have the classic Stephen King, like, oh, this person died with an ax wound that accidentally had this happen. This person died because it's implied that, you know, he was a pedophile and he was murdered for it and stuff. And like all of this, like King stuff, but then the overall story is Stella Flanders basically living out the, like the end of her life and reflecting on her life and dis- coming to a decision point of is was it a um, mistake never leaving the island or is her life did, did her life have meaning and purpose and it's just oh it just it floored me it absolutely floored me it was it was just it was just so so beautiful I, I loved it yeah <laughs> 
my heart. Oh, I just love everything you said. Oh man, my heart is aflame because I'm with you, Matt. I'm with you. Oh yeah. my gosh. I did a, a tentative ranking of short stories of what I've accomplished thus far, and it's in the top five. The Reach is one of my top five goldies because that thing slayed my heart. Oh, yeah. I am 100% with you. And Stella Flanders is just this precious slice of American island life. And it's awesome what King does with this very regal woman who's not fancy by any means. And it seems like for the most part, she's lived a kind of peaceful life. Tragedy really hasn't struck her. She's been spared a lot from life's sort of evils and darknesses. And she's just been this quiet, lovely, constant presence on Goat Island. Yep. And she has this strange couple weeks leading up to her last days on earth and it's beautiful it's so beautiful and as a king female there is something really spectacular about a kind of this woman that represents love and community and friendship and she just didn't see a need to leave the island she was just like what do i need to leave the island for i've yeah. got everything i need just absolutely a simple salt of the earth presence that is a good person um not to say that some of these other king i mean some of them are downright rotten but like right <laughs> and this lady is not a victim she's really not incredibly spectacular in any way but yet her life and her genuine love of her simple little life is so profound. It's so profound. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's there, it, it is so endearing and it is so, there are elements of it that are so relatable to, I mean, it's, it's kind of feels a little universal in the way that he writes it. And it's just a, it, it, it's his, um, his penchant for writing just ordinary everyday people and i don't know just the emotion of that just really really comes through very powerfully in the reach mrs todd shortcut knocked my socks off and then i get to the reach and i'm just like welling with tears could not believe when i just read what a knockout of a story oh yeah and those females are so dang cool, and King puts them in the center. But there's not really anything magical or mystical, maybe a little with Mrs. Todd, but we don't really yeah. find out <laughs> till toward the end. And then something's, something's awry, but she herself is just a wild, wild woman in, in that she just liked to live life by her own quirks and drive fast in her little go-devil. Yep. and zoom around <laughs> the back roads of Maine as quickly as she could and something started to happen in those trees and that's all I'll say. Yep. When I look at some of these archetypes that King is working with, with these King females, I feel like those mentioned in The Reach and Mrs. Todd Shortcut, it's like, okay, this is this is just something sweet and nice. Like these yeah. these are lovely, beautiful light feminine. These are the ones that are just slices of maternal feminine 
sweet. They're they're just simple ladies who represent so, so much and have quite a huge impact on one's heart. So I love that. And I'm, I'm so happy that you love those stories too. Oh yeah. And like I said, the reach is one that it really, really benefits to repeat readings. And I'm so glad that I not necessarily gave it another chance, but I revisited it and it's just, it really, really spoke to me. Isn't that the best? Isn't Absolutely. that the best when it, oh, yeah. a couple years later, you find yourself with the title in front of you again and you're like, let's just give it a go. And then you're just smacked, smacked in the face with awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm going to give Matt his night back, but we're going to conclude with a sort of call to arms, Matt. So as you continue your journey with Stephen King, keep an eye out for the Dark Goddess archetype and jot down these ladies that you want me to check out because what we're going to explore in other iterations of this topic because this ride and this road stretches ever on because this is such a huge topic that I'm going to be discussing for a really long time. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it so, so much. So going forward, keep an eye out for final girls, the sort of final girls that we have in King's works as they face down the monster, the villains, victors, and of course, those dark goddesses as well as some of these outliers, some of these lovely little beams of light, these light feminine examples. So I love this topic so much. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Can you tell everybody what you've got going on? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much once again for having me on. Like, it's just such a blast to, to chat with you about King and uh, I'm so glad that I'm invited back. <laughs> always, always, always. The door is open for Matt. Awesome. So uh, what I've got going on, I've got three podcasts, the Obsessive Viewer Movie and TV Podcast, and I have Anthology that's dormant right now, but I'm going to bring it back soon. It's the Twilight Zone. And then I have, of course, Tower Junkies, where it's me and Tiny, previous guest of the year of underrated Stephen King, Tiny. He was. We had such fun. Oh, that was such a fun episode to listen to. <laughs> um, Loved it. Oh, yeah. So he and I are lifelong Stephen King fans. We've uh, we've had Tower Junkies as a podcast for going on five years now. And you, of course, have been a guest on that. And you're going to be a guest on it many times in the future. Can't including wait to come back. Soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. But yeah, that's at towerjunkiespod.com. And then also on, like, we also have a Patreon that I just use to kind of just throw a bunch of stuff on Patreon. But I've been doing what I've been dubbing the Church of King, where I'm going through his short fiction collections um, and re recording reviews of each story and then putting them together into multi-part full episodes in January, I did Night Shift. I did five parts for that total of like six hours of audio. And then I did uh, just finished Skeleton Crew, another like six and a half hours of, of audio. All of that's on our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Uh, just pledge $2 or more per month and you get access to that and a slew of other stuff, including a a multi-part uh, recording about the Green Mile so <laughs> and a bunch of stuff. So, so yeah, that's everything that I have. Basically, the center of all of that is just go to obsessiveviewer.com and you'll find everything. 
I am such a fan of both, and I have you kind of like on autoplay, and so sometimes <laughs> with Obsessive Viewer, I haven't seen the movie yet, and I was like, wait, 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 be quiet, man, shh, 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 and so <laughs> I have to run over to my phone and turn it off because I haven't seen it yet, or I'll listen to the first part, and then mm. I have to wait until it goes to the spoiler-free, or the spoiler zone, and then I have to put it on pause so <laughs> well thank you so much for listening that's so that's so kind oh dude i'm a fan i'm a fangirl over here super awesome. fan everybody the skeleton crew coverage the green mile coverage matt is so thorough it is such a rich investigation so if you are a king fan you need to plug into tower junkies patreon i cannot emphasize that enough it is such a joy it is essential you need it in your life Thank you so much. Next up on that, I'm going to be doing Nightmares and Dreamscapes. So super excited about that. So yeah. That's a thick one. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Throughout Skeleton Crew, which is also pretty thick too, but like I had loaned Tiny my my physical copy. So I just listened to the audiobook the entire time. And like, I am a, a tried and true like student of your teaching of doing uh, audiobook and physical at the same time and yes. like yeah and I had skeleton crew and I'm like tiny has it I just moved to the other side of town so I have to just listen to the audiobook but I have I have my physical copy of nightmares and dreamscapes and I have uh audiobook for it and like I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in I'm yes. so excited for that I'm so excited. You love it because that's how I pass grad school. That is what I <laughs> preach from the rooftops. It allows for maximum absorption, everybody. Absolutely. But that's a thick one. I haven't read that one yet. I'm excited too. And I'm totally blanking on what I was going to say now because that's what happens. But is Nightmares and Dreamscapes going to be, is this your first time reading it or will this be a repeat? It'll be a repeat. So um, what I do on Twitter, I'm kind of excited because this is the first time. So like back in like 2020, during all COVID and everything, I started reading the short fiction collections because I got COVID in December 2020. And I was like, I basically had to quarantine for 14 days and I was sick as heck. And so I, what I would do is I would basically tweet a gif and some thoughts about each story as I read it. So Nightmares and Dreamscapes is like the first one that I have like tweets of my thoughts. So I'm going to be able to do that for the Patreon. I'll have like, oh, this is what I initially thought of it. And this is what I thought of it now. And this is the goofy gif that I used for it. So, so yeah, I'm very excited to kind of get back to like revisit that collection. That'll be fun that you're not in a plague state anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> more, more salubrious word of the day. Nice. I don't <laughs> even know what that means, but it sounds awesome. Yeah. You can dictionary.com it when we're done. Will do. We are such fans of each other and my heart is with you. I just, I'm such a fan of your work and... Thank you for being the most amazing constant reader friend and podcaster. Uh, thank you. Right back at you. I delight in getting the chance to, to talk to you and everything. So thank you so much. It's been a blast and I can't wait to chat again. Thanks, Matt. You're my book bestie. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks.
Thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you so much for hanging out with Matt and myself. It's always a joy when we get to record together, and if you're hungry for more, we both have a few recordings floating around featuring each other. I have been so fortunate to have been a previous guest on Tower Junkies a couple times, and next week I get the awesome opportunity to record with both Matt and Tiny. This is going to be a blessed first, a long time in the making. I am super thrilled, so stay tuned for that. I can't wait. But I'm going to keep this short because I have some work to do, guys. I am criminally behind in my reading of Wizard and Glass, so I'm going to keep this brief. If you are new to the show and find yourself enjoying the content, please reach out to underratedsk at gmail and say hi. And if you would like to share some positivity and love, go ahead and give the show a five star on Apple Podcasts. And if you would so decide to level up in loveliness and be a good citizen, you can say something nice about the show so we can reach more readers, more King fans, more folks who are curious about this Stephen King guy because they've never really taken the plunge and read one of his works. We are always on the hunt to assist with that. And guys, uh, before I go, I have to share this progress report with you. I have a coworker who has never ever, ever read Stephen King before. Never, never, never. And I think he checked out the pod and he asked me if he could borrow my copy of Full Dark No Stars. <laughs> oh, it's happening! So my jaw hit the floor. I said, absolutely. I will report back when he updates me on what he thinks. But I think we all might be preparing for some similar Kim C life-changing magic. Don't know. Fingers crossed. I am hopeful. I will let you know. But until next time, I have to get back to the Dark Tower, but I love you all. Take care, stay cool, or stay warm wherever you are in the world, and we'll be together again soon. Bye-bye.